The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think and feel and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights of the guests I bring you each and every week to our show. And today's show, today's podcast actually, is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's Podgo. Dot co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add our podcast, Guys Guys Radio, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. we got a great show for you today, folks. We've got two guys today, two guys guys, Gay Hendricks and David Assail, two very different men, but they both got very interesting content and ideas to share with us. Gay Hendricks is a very well-known author and teacher, and uh, his seminal book is called The Big Leap. He's got a new one. It's called The Genius Zone. And it's really about recognizing that you have an inner genius and then finding the room and the time to develop that genius to bring your life the, the largest amount of joy possible. And I think that Gay has done a terrific job with this book. It's short. It's interactive. It's right to the point. We're going to discuss it in a few minutes. And I think you're going to enjoy that. David Assail is a veteran writer-producer out here in Hollywood. He comes from New York City like I do, and uh, he's been out here a while, and he's worked in the industry for a couple of decades, and he's done some terrific work. He's worked on everything from Miami Vice writing scripts to St. Elsewhere, Star Trek, The Next Generation, and he has a lot of experience writing, producing, and just knowing the ins and outs of the industry. And I wanted to have him on to really help our listeners get an insider's view as to what makes Hollywood tick, how you navigate the tricky system, and how you give yourself the best chance of success, and also how not to take everything so personally and keep doing the good work that you want to do. So we've got two terrific guests today on Guys Guys Radio. So what's going on out there? Well, we're into the summer now. The weather is nice and warm. I'm out here in San Diego, and it's fantastic. It's just warm and beautiful every day, but it is pretty much most of the year. But it's nice everywhere in the country these days, and that's terrific. And we're kind of pushing past the, the pandemic, and that's a good thing, too. And it's not to minimize all the damage that's been done, but it's nice that people now can get out there and really just uh, without the masks on and really enjoy themselves and live a little bit like they were living for so many years. So that's really good news. And, you know, I moved out here right before the pandemic, and people ask me all the time, like, oh, do you miss New York? And I'm like, you know what? Uh, the New York City, I love it, but it's the last place I'd want to be during a pandemic because it's just got a, a, enough stuff that you deal with every day there. you got to be ready. But with dealing with a pandemic on top of everything else, I was like, no thanks. 
And then, and I kind of forgot about it. And when I think back on New York, I put a little bit of a block in my mind for some reason. And uh, that changed. I was watching a movie the other night called Collateral Beauty. It wasn't the greatest movie I've ever seen, but it caught my attention because I think they handled New York City very well. It was about advertising, so I could relate to that. This is the way the movie was filmed. The streets, the clothing, the attitudes, how people behave reminded me so much of my time my many years in advertising and in New York City, Will Smith, Ed Norton, Helen Mirren, Kate Winslet, just a terrific cast. There was some other folks in there too that you'd recognize. They were great. And the story to me, it was a little bit far-fetched, but the vibe I got, it, it captured that melancholy undertone, that little bit of anxiety it pervades living in New York, along with the excitement, along with the money, along with the opportunities. And that made me miss New York, even though it wasn't all joy and laughter, just the vibe that making things happen, that tension really reminded me of my time working in advertising in, in New York, even though there is anxiety there. There's so much creativity. There's so much money. There's so many opportunities. There's so much talent there. It's really a very special place. So I'm looking forward to going back next month or actually in August and, uh, seeing if things have changed as much as uh, they may have in my mind and also to visit my family. So anyhow, love you, New York. So let's get started with the show. We've got David Assail and Gay Hendricks. Let's get it on right now. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, we're in the interview portion of our show, my favorite portion of the show, of course, and we've got a very special guest. His name is Gay Hendricks. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He's been on the show before. He had a great book called Conscious Luck that he wrote with Carol Klein, and he has another set of books that we're going to talk about today, but one in particular that's coming out next week, and it is called The Genius Zone, The Breakthrough Process to End Negative Thinking and Live in True Creativity. But let me tell you a little bit about Gay before we bring him out. He served for more than 40 years one of the major contributors to the fields of relationship transformation, body-mind therapies, along with his wife, Dr. Kathleen Hendricks. Dr. Hendricks is the author of many bestsellers, including Conscious Loving, At the Speed of Life, Conscious Breathing, the seminal book, The Big Leap, Five Wishes, and Conscious Loving Ever After. In recent years, he's ventured into fiction. He's got a bunch of mysteries no novels about a Tibetan Buddhist private eye named Tenzing Norbu, and he's got also two mysteries featuring a Victorian-era detective, Sir Errol Hyde. So he's done a lot. He's got a PhD in counseling psychology from Stanford, 1974, 21 years there as a professor at University of Colorado. He founded the Hendricks Institute, which offers seminars in North America, Asia, Europe. And he and his wife live in Ohio, California. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Gay Hendricks. Thank you very much, Robert. It's great to be with you again. Oh, thanks. Looking forward to it. And I love the book. I read it over the last couple of days, and it's uh, short and sweet. I got a lot out of it. So let's start right at the beginning. The name of the book is The Genius Zone. What gay Hendricks is a genius? A genius, by my definition, is somebody who's doing what they most love to do, and at the same time is making their biggest contribution to the world around them. So sometimes a genius can be in a field that makes them miserable because they're not doing what they love to do. 
And in the book, I talk about the difference between true creativity and ordinary creativity. Ordinary creativity is when you're using your best stuff to serve other people like a boss or some other business. I think the sweet spot of genius is when you're doing what you most love to do in a way that makes your biggest contribution. So everybody has a, a genius zone. And it's just a matter of uh, sliding the scale to find more time for the genius devoted to where your passions are versus just serving others. Is that, that, that accurate? That's accurate. When I first started thinking about this, I realized I was only using my own genius about 10% of the time in doing what I most love to do. That was originally why I wrote The Big Leap um, many years ago was to show that problem and the fact that actually all we need to do is start incrementally spending a little bit more time every day doing the thing we most love to do. Even if you only start with 10 minutes, we've found that's a great place to start. That's great advice. So what does one do to begin that process of making room for their genius to have some room to the groove, if you will. Well, one of the first things that you have to do, which I had to do and everybody needs to do, is find out what your genius really is. It would be nice if we started being asked that in the first grade because we might be able to have a better answer. But I actually have people in here all the time. So when I ask them, what is your true genius? Even though the person may be the CEO of a Fortune 50 company, they haven't really identified yet what their real genius is. There's a huge payoff for it because once you find out what that is, what that sweet spot is, then you can begin to do it more in the job you're already doing. That's one great way to have a better time with, with your existence. But the other thing that a lot of people do is eventually they make a big leap into a whole other way of doing it. And I've I've been privileged to be in on that many, many hundreds of times, if not thousands of times by now, where somebody actually decided at midlife that they wanted to take a big leap, leap into another whole different area of their life. Like a very successful lawyer I knew at age 44, Max Weissman, he decided he wanted to be a doctor at age 44. Now that's no medical school would take him except he found one in Holland, but he had to learn Dutch in six weeks. He got his MD four years later. That's what it takes oftentimes is the tuning in inside and figuring out what is most precious, sacred, and essential to you, and then finding out a way to do that more and more in the outside world. Seems like there's uh, two parts is finding the room uh, inside yourself for the genius to thrive and then finding the time for allowing it to come out. Yeah, that's really a good way to put it. In fact, I, I want to highlight that because you're emphasizing the two moves kind of there's the move of going inside and saying what do i most love to do and i think every sentient human being needs to ask themselves that what do i most love to do how can i spend more time doing it and then the third question i always ask people would you be willing to express your genius in a way that serves other people and the world around you so that way you're doing two things at once you're serving yourself and then there's the outward move of serving other people in the world around you with your genius. I would think that, Gay, that uh, when you have that attitude of how can I serve, that you get some type of help from the universe, if you will. Have you found that to be the case? Because what I wanted to ask you is, I don't know if anybody's asked you this, but I noticed in the book, you get into your own backstory and you know you had some challenges as a kid. You were a big kid. 
You fell into a couple of addictions, I believe, along the way in your late teens or early 20s. And then a lot of, I think, your journey was about, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't want to get personal, but you know, uh, negating that negative self-talk. You had a lot of things to get over. And I think that's emblematic of what we're talking about now. How, how do people, because they judge, we, we find ourselves judging everything, and then we find ourselves judging ourselves often even more harshly than we judge everything else. I know I'm throwing a lot at, at you, but I think you understand what I'm talking about. Well, my big challenge that you touched on, uh, Robert, had to do with being born with a whole bunch of glandular problems that made me really fat as a baby and then later on into childhood and up into my teens. And so I was taken around to different medical specialists and things like that. But um, so fortunately, I managed to kind of get it handled in my 20s so that I've uh, had a healthy body weight ever since. I weigh about 180 now and I'm about a little over six feet tall. So I look athletic for uh, a person um, of my age, 76. And I um, found that in overcoming that challenge, one of the main things I had to overcome was the self-talk about it. Because here's the weird thing, Robert, after I lost the weight when I was 24, I lost more than 100 pounds in the course of a year. And But once I lost the weight, I still thought like an obese person for years afterwards, I would realize that I hadn't, like I'd be walking down the street and I realized that I hadn't looked into the window of the, the store I was passing because I didn't want to see the reflection of my fatness in the window. And then I realized, wait a minute, I'm no longer fat. But so I think that a lot of times the bigger problems occur in our own minds that we need to first face and deal with and feel the things maybe we've avoided going around and feeling for all of our lives. Like underneath my hundred extra pounds, I discovered lots of things I was angry about and never talked to anybody about and things I was sad about and never talked to anybody about, things I was scared about. And my dreams, I'd never even really talked to anybody about my dreams. So there I was in my mid twenties. And fortunately I woke up in time and I had time to then make all my dreams come true over the next 50 years. But it doesn't really matter if you wake up when you're 24 or 44, like Max Weishman, my old friend did when he was 44 and realized he didn't wanna be a lawyer anymore. I've had people in my office here, a couple a while back who he was 75 and she was 71. And they didn't even bring in a problem. They said, we want to just learn how to have a better time with our time left. See, I think you don't have to be sick to get better. You can just start getting better without even thinking of yourself as sick in any way. There, there, is, there are things that I needed to confront inside myself and had to open up to and learn to love, hopefully, inside myself. And you probably will, too. But the bigger picture is that we've all got this nugget of genius inside us. And it's our job, no matter how old you are or where you're from or what you're doing, to open up and learn to express that out in the world. I think that is a sacred calling of all human beings. Well stated, very well stated. So I want to make sure we get to the two cores in the book. On And again, the name of the book is The Genius Zone, The Breakthrough Process to End Negative Thinking and Live in True Creativity. My very special guest, Gay Hendricks, a return guest to Guys Guys Radio. I'm thrilled that he's back here. But you mentioned two things, Gay, in the book that I found very monumental, if you will, genius moment and the genius move. Why don't you unravel those for us? 
Yes, one of the big discoveries over the past 10 years that led to my writing The Genius Zone is that we get dozens, if not more, opportunities every day to tap into our genius. And here's something really interesting. Most people go around avoiding problems and try to get away from things that are unpleasant in their bodies and that kind of thing. But if you go the other way around and realize that our job really is to embrace those things and open up to them and learn to express them in a healthy way, the genius moment occurs anytime you're feeling stuck and don't know the solution to whatever the problem is at hand. That feeling of not feeling the flow inside yourself, feeling kind of stuck, a little bit confused maybe. That's a genius moment because what's underneath that is something new that's trying to push its way through. But oftentimes it doesn't get there because we keep thinking the same old way over and over again. I always tell people, all you need is one positive thought to get your genius on the line. And that positive thought is, I'm willing to find out more about what my genius really is. Just think that thought, just drop it into the thought stream somewhere and watch things start to flourish even from that really simple little moment. The genius move has to do with what you do when you encounter one of those genius moments. Now, the book, like you, I appreciate you mentioned the, the brevity of it. I tried to write the whole book just like I would if I were doing a two hour session a big leap intensive here in my office. I do these one-on-one uh, -on -one big leap intensives where I work with one person intensively for two hours. And two hours is usually all they need. Sometimes after an hour and a half to say, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. And uh, so, um, but two hours is the max. But I tried to capsulate that experience into this book. And so it's kind of like having a session with me rather than reading a book that you kind of kick back on the beach and read. Uh, so what I'm getting at is I urge you to sit down and work through the book. It'll only take you an hour or two. And that way you'll really learn how to make the genius move. But let me give you a quick sketch of it here while we're on the air. The quick sketch of the genius move is anytime you encounter one of those glitch moments, one of those moments of confusion or feeling stuck, you're trying to control something that is not within your power to control. Check that out. Just check it out. Don't believe me. Go out and look. Next time you're feeling stuck, just look. What am I trying to control that's not actually within my power to control? Then let go of that urge to control and watch what happens right after that because your genius begins to re reveal itself when you let go of that old pattern of thinking. It's until you actually see it in action, it almost seems like a form of magic. But once you get used to it, it's, you realize, oh, that's the way human beings are wired. We are wired to express our genius. And if we can just learn a few simple techniques of getting out of our own way for even 10 seconds at a time, that genius begins to reveal itself. You know, that's very well stated. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, and then I want to get into some of those techniques, Gay, but people want to manifest things, yet they are so controlling. They want things a certain way when they want it, and that's not how the universe necessarily works, even though you can create your own life moment by moment. But I think a lot of people get stuck in that they get blocked or they block themselves from receiving, but more importantly, they block themselves from allowing. 
And it sounds like a lot of what you're doing with your teaching here. And again, I say the book is has brevity to it as a, as a compliment. It's right to the point and it's very utilitarian and it's interactive also. How can, how can people you know, get started with this? Because it seems like we're our own worst enemy and there's so much out there for us. The universe wants to help us, yet we get in the way. The key starting point, in fact, right at the beginning of the book, I make a big thing out of this. The place to get started is with a simple commitment. If you think about what a commitment really is, actually, uh, I'm an old student of Latin from high school, my beloved Latin teacher, Miss Emma Williams, uh, all glory to her. She uh, struggled through teaching me Latin for two or three years. And the word commitment in Latin comes from words that mean to marshal your resources and set forth. So if you think about what a commitment is, it's, okay, I am ready to go. I am sincere about making the following move. So if you are willing, make a commitment to revealing more of your genius every day. You don't know how to do that yet, but you know, any commitment worth its salt, you don't know how to do. Like uh, my buddy, Jim, that I play golf with all the time, he's uh, got 17 years of sobriety after having his life changed with uh, AA. And he says there was this moment when he got up front there and said, my name's Jim and I'm an alcoholic. The moment he set that in motion and just called it the way it is, that 10 seconds changed his life. Because up until then, that he, he, would, he wasn't admitting what was going on in his life, that he was powerless over alcohol. And so in, in a way, it works that way with every area of life. If you say, like Katie and I, by the way, my wife, Dr. Kathleen Hendricks, we call her Katie around the house here and her friends do. Um, we are just about to celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary. Wow, um, congrats. And uh, if you're in the neighborhood uh, in October, <laughs> I want you to uh, drop by and attend a very excellent party. Uh, <laughs> uh, but plenty of people will be coming up from your part of the world too. Believe me, there'll be whole carpools coming up awesome. from your area. So you could even snag a ride, Robert. Okay. Um, so, um, but Katie and I have found in the 40 years of our 40 plus years of our relationship now, that commitment is really where it's at. And it's one thing to make a kind of a, a greeting card commitment, like I promise to love and adore you forever. You know, if somebody says that at their wedding vows, the audience ought to go, ah, you know, run for the exit because that'll never work. Because what you really want to do is make a commitment to the other person to speak honestly and make a commitment to the other person to listen thoughtfully to what they have to say, to listen in such a way that you could paraphrase or repeat back to them what they just said. You'd be surprised at how hard those things are to, to learn. You know, we've taught 4,500 couples now in our seminars or in our office, and it's surprisingly hard just to get a couple to learn how to listen to each other. And But once they do, magic occurs. So one of the things I really want to leave with people is that these things take 10 seconds at a time. It only takes 10 seconds to make a commitment to letting your genius flower. <sighs> it only takes two or three, you know, 10 seconds to take one nice, big, easy breath. By the way, there's a whole chapter on breathing in the book too, because it's so important to learning how to breathe and be with your emotions so they don't get a grip on you. 
It's also, I think, important what you do in a book is you ask people to write it down. And I know in spiritual unfoldment, like write it down, write it down, write it down. It's really important. And you say like, I, Robert Manny, commit to what, whatever it is. Uh, and you, you do a wonderful job with that. I, I only have time for like one or two more questions, but I wanted to ask you, so we cover the whole genius thing uh, adequately, the genius spiral. So once you get started, so you learn to give yourself a little bit more time to express yourself, your genius each and every day, just a little bit of time. Once you've made your commitment, you write it down, you have your affirmations, how do you keep that spiral going so you can tap into it and it can grow bigger and bigger and bigger? Well, let me give you a good example. I live in a little mountain valley here where we uh, have wind currents and you can almost always look up into the sky and watch hawks circling way up there sometimes, almost look like little dots. And they do it by making these tiny adjustments. I've sat in my backyard and watched them for you know, 10, 15 minutes without them needing to flap their wings or do anything effortful. They're just learning to ride the currents. And in life, once you learn how to apply the techniques that are in the genius zone, it's then fine tuning that every day. Like you may ask yourself the first day, what is my true genius? And you get an answer the first day, but then the second and third day and the fourth day, or maybe in the middle of your dreams, the fourth night, suddenly something reveals itself to you. Because like you mentioned earlier, Robert, which is so important, is that spiritual growth and relationship growth are not linear things that take time or, or have to take time. Even if you're willing to learn something, the answer might be right there in front of you. I've had couples come in with a problem they've been arguing about literally for nearly three decades. One couple I'm thinking of came in, married 29 years, having the same argument. <laughs> it was a 10 minute problem. Once I showed them how to do it a different way, oh my God, you know, suddenly there's a smile on their face. Why didn't we learn this 20 years ago? Well, that's a good question. Why don't we learn these things we're talking about in the first grade or the seventh grade? I know I was smart enough in the seventh grade to figure out some of the things that I'm talking about now, but I, I had to go to graduate school to learn them and, uh, and learn them in a hard way out there in life by making a lot of mistakes too. Hopefully yeah. though, we learn from our mistakes. Well, you've done a lot more uh, than learn from your stakes. You've really excelled and you're really helping people. And I, I love the book, The Genius Zone. Gay Hendricks, you're just uh, you're a gift to humanity. You're doing great work. It's a pleasure to know you. I thank you for being on Guys Guide Radio. But before that, tell everybody where they can pick up a copy of The Genius Zone, where they can learn more about your work, The Big Leap, et cetera. Good. Well, there's one good place to get it where you can find all your favorite booksellers. And that's by going to GeniusZoneBook.com, GeniusZoneBook.com. And the reason to go there is you can buy the book, but also I've recorded a special 15-minute audio meditation that I'd love it if you would download that and use that in conjunction with the book, because um, the, the test group that's been using it now is uh, reporting amazing results, and it only takes you you know, the first time, 15 minutes, you could even listen to 10 minutes of it the next day. So not a big investment in time. We around here say, if you're not willing to invest 10 minutes a day in your genius, you're probably not going to get it on the line. So take that 10 minutes, get in there, read the book, listen to this, and uh, get it from geniuszonebook.com, where you can also get the audio meditation free.
Awesome. I'm going to do that later today. So thank you so much, Gay Hendricks. I hope you come back to Guys Guys Radio. Maybe I'll pop in. You might regret that, though. I'll bring all my friends. We'll stop in your 40th anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> bring all your rowdy friends. <laughs> so great seeing you. Thanks for being on the show. And I hope to see you again, my friend. Thanks a lot, Robert. I appreciate it. Guy Radio. Guys, guys, radio, I've got a very special show for you today. A great guest. His name is David Assail, and he's a real veteran of, of New York City, but also of Hollywood, screenwriter, TV writer, novelist, just an all-around expert on what goes on in Hollywood, and he's a really interesting guy. He's got some great stories. He's done so many different things, including he was a tutor for JFK Jr. back in New York City. So let me tell you a little, a little bit about David. Uh, born on the Lower East Side, MFA in Fiction from Columbia, New York State Council of Arts Award for Best Fiction Novel, Where the Spotlight Misses. He sold screenplays to Disney, Warner Brothers, Imagine, 20th Century Fox. He's written uh, pilots for CBS, NBC, ABC. His TV credits and episodes he's written of uh, famous shows, St. Elsewhere, Miami Vice, one of my favorites, Star Trek, The Next Generation, Northern Exposure, Picket Fences, um, he co-wrote the screenplay for Evans Crime, which premiered at the Boston Film Festival, executive producer on the film also, distributed by MGM. Uh, his screenplay adaptation of L.P. Leung's novel, The Jade Pendant, was released by Forest Films in 2017. He rebooted Northern Exposure for uh, Film Farm. He executive produced 360 Degrees to Paradise. He's also writing the book to a musical called Insanity, which is under development. He's completed two episodes for the and the show Bible, which is a treatment for this new hour-long drama. And Allen Street, uh, another original screenplay he's written, also Arrows of Time. His most recent project is called Glazed Over. It's a novel, and I'm sure it's about his time hanging out at a donut shop on the Lower East Side, but he's got a lot of fantastic stories. stories. And the reason I really want to have him on the show is to to get some information out there for you aspiring screenwriters and writers and novelists and just how Hollywood works, what story is all about, and some of the traps you can look out for so you can step over them. So welcome to Guys Guys Radio, David Assail. Thank you. Great introduction. Right. Well, thanks for being here. And I think you've got so much to share. So let's start at the beginning. When did you move from the Lower East Side to uh, Hollywood and what inspired you to make that move, David? Okay, uh, I moved out to Hollywood around 1977, and what inspired me was Jackie Kennedy. I was tutoring John Kennedy Jr. at the time, and she said, David, maybe it's time for you to go out to Hollywood. I was also stagnating and uh, as a tutor. I was getting very bored and restless tutoring, and some of the time I would try to cover it up and put like uh, a partition between me and the tutee, and I almost would not out. So I, ne I knew I needed a change, and I knew that Hollywood was where the action was. Meeting mm -hmm. Jackie, Jackie suggested I go out there okay. and start again. But she knew you were a writer. She knew I was a writer, and she was very helpful. And she, I mean, she really extended herself to me a lot. And I was very grateful and appreciative. And the first guy that she wanted me to meet was Mike Nichols. So wow. imagine a guy, you know, for no very, no credits. And my first meeting is with Mike Nichols. Of course, no. I screwed that meeting up. Well, how'd that go? Tell us about that. What happened is uh, I had no idea what Los Angeles was like. And so I stayed at my hotel. 
So my meeting was at four o'clock. So me, I'm gonna, I always like to get there early and scout out the location like a cop and see where things are, case where my escape route has to be, you know, typical paranoia of, of a Lower East Side kid. So I went in two hours early. I went to this cowboy bar. I started drinking some beer. I started playing pool. Four o'clock with the most powerful man in Hollywood, right? All of a sudden, all of a sudden, I look at the clock and it's 4.15. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. This is my first meeting with the most powerful director in Hollywood, the hottest director. So I bolt out of the bar. I start running to, to the studio, Burbank, uh, Warner Brothers. I'm cursing myself out for being another self-destructive guy on the Lower East Side who has no sense of reason and rationality. Anyway, I bust into the room. I'm out of breath. I went up a flight of stairs. I get in there. A beautiful assistant comes over to me and says, uh, are you Mr. Sale? I said, yes, I am. And she said, Mr. Nichols is running a little late. We'll be with you in a few minutes. <laughs> Good. So I got lucky there. You know, so what happened at the meeting? What happened then? At the meeting, he was phenomenal. I gave him a screenplay. Uh, and he gave one screenplay that I wrote uh, to Elaine May's partner, the one that he didn't like. And when he did like, he said, we will talk about it at another time. So he was very, hope, you know, encouraging uh, and really nice and said, Jackie said some fantastic things about you. And that was it. I said to my wife, Lori, pack your bags. We got to go. And, th and then as soon as I got out here, I got very, very lucky. What was your first I, break? I went to a pitch meeting. And I didn't, I didn't realize it. I got a meeting somehow with... Uh, senior vice president at 20th Century Fox. I, and all of a sudden I got, go into this room, I pitch a story within, and I was pretty good at pitching a story. You know, I had a beginning, a middle and end, it's a song and dance. I wowed them, I enchanted them, and I did a great job as, as a salesman. Basically I was a car salesman. And I'll never forget the words of, uh, of the senior vice president. He said, Delia, will you draw up a deal memo? And before you knew it, I had an office at 20th Century Fox. I had an expense account. And I said to my wife, Lori, I said, Lori, this is unbelievable. I pitched the story. Now I got a screenplay I'm going to write. Uh, I have an expense account. I have a big office on the lot. This is almost like going into a bank, stealing money, and nobody shooting at you. What was the uh, screenplay and did it get produced? What happened to that? Uh, what happened? Well, by the way, those are great stories. What doesn't happen to screenplays or what happens to screenplays are stories in and of themselves. The day I finished, they had a change of regimes in the upper echelons of the company. So my project, that was the end of it. But I made a great amount of money. I had a lot of fun. And I basically broke in, you know, understanding what the game is. And you got to be a great actor. You got to be able to tell a story between 12 and 15 minutes. You got to hit the high points at the beginning. You got to, the second act is always usually the difficult one to keep them interested in. And you got to do a lot of verbal pyrotechnics and you got to be animated and alive and just suck them into your passion. How important is, uh, uh, in your opinion, and did you follow the typical template of a uh, story? Uh, what does the main character want? Why can't he get it? Yes, I did follow that template. But most importantly, it's them picking up on your animation and on your passion. You have a beginning, a middle, 
and an end. I once pitched, I did, I pitched the story successfully to Brian Grazier and Ron Howard, and it was about a New York City fireman who falls in love with a first lady. So wow. knowing the background, you can figure out a connection, right? That's a real Jackie watch. Kennedy. Oh, yeah, real watch. I said, I didn't want to make him a tutor because if he was a tutor, it would be too boring, too passive, and unglamorous. So I said, let me make him a New York City fireman. And I went in to pitch to you know Ron Howard and Brian Grage. And Brian, Brian Grage stopped me in the middle. He says, this was in 1987. He says, does it have to be the president of the United States? You're going to besmirch an institution? I go, Brian. He says, can you make it the mayor? And I said, the mayor? You, you trivializing my story. You're localizing it. I want to make this mythic. This is a fairy tale. And I can tell it within the scope of logic and reason. So I have this great swashbuckling New York City fireman who never got married, you know, never got married, lives on a boat in the boat basin on 78th Street, goes to a five alarm fire. And lo and behold, he climbs up the ladder, breaks the window, okay. goes in. So what happened with the story? What happened to Another thing, the they bought yeah. it. <laughs> okay, tonight. Awesome. They bought it. I convinced, he can't, because Brian Grazer ran back into the room. He said, you're right, you're right, make it the president. I said, fantastic. <laughs> they bought it, but what happened on that movie, I mean, I got paid for a decent amount of money, but what happened on that, they bought the movie Backdraft. Okay. I, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, like um, amazing. So good for you. So you've worked on everything. You've done uh, novels. You've done TV writing and film writing. For the benefit of our listeners out there, uh, I've dabbled in all three. I have a novel. I've written a screenplay. I wrote a TV series. Very different. Tell everybody out there what are the differences in your opinion. Well, a screenplay is all about story, and it's all about beginning, middle, and end. And what you had said in the beginning, it's classic. Who is the character? What does he want? And how are you going to screw him up and put obstacles in his way from getting to his dream? So it's all about obstruction, impediments, and blocking that guy from getting to his dream. So that's what you have. So in the first act, you got to have a problem. In the set, so my problem, I'll just an example is in okay. the five minute first lady, the problem was this guy never fell in love. And now he falls in love with the most beautiful woman in the world who's married to the most powerful man in the world who can kill him in three seconds. Okay, they fall in love. What happens after that? So now the second act, first act concludes with a dance in Central Park. They fall in love, but the president has a wicked and evil chief of staff who wants to get this guy. So now you got to make the problem even worse. So she sees him a couple of times and the chief of staff comes down very heavily on him. So at the end of the second act, you got to think, this is it. It's over. They're never going to get together. And then in the third act, you got to take it down even worse. Not only are they not going to get together, they're never going to see each other. All right. So if the first act sets up the problem and the third act would be kind of the climax and the resolution, what, how would you label, if you will, the second act? The second act is usually the most difficult because you got to keep things moving and you got to keep complicating the situation. So it's creating more obstacles okay. and deepening. You got to compound the problem. It's a problem in act one, the end of act two. R raising Ooh, mistakes, then. right? Yeah, it's, over, it's overwhelming. 
Okay. My special guest on Guys Guys Radio, David Assale, went from New York to Hollywood like a lot of people have, but he succeeded in his first meeting was with Mike Nichols. So amazing stories here. We're just getting started. So let's talk a little bit about TV because, you know, it seems like the whole TV template has changed over time. It used to be that the main character on a TV show and the main characters, if you will, would never change. And then when you had these long form TV shows where the stories go on and on and on, uh, and there's these troops of characters, it seems like there are some changes. What's your sense of uh, how TV writing works? Well, TV writing, uh, when I first came out here, you could uh, get a uh, script, you can get an episode. So you were like an independent contract. So I could get a Star Trek, I can get White Shadows, I could get St. Elsewhere, because uh, I had good samples and I, I knew the showrunners. Now, I don't think that's possible anymore. I don't think you can make a decent living as a freelance writer now because all the shows are written in-house and very different requirements for the main character. Then they always had to be likable. Now, darkness is celebrated. The darker they are, more likely you'll sell the project. And it's all about casting. You can't sell, you know, an eight-episode order unless you get a big TV name. So it's all about marketing right now. And staff jobs, uh, you, so there are no more freelance episodes anymore. It's okay. just everything is written in-house. Okay. Tell us about Miami Vice. Now, I have watched, over the uh, shutdown, I decided to binge three shows. I watched all of Beat Bobby Flay. I watched all of The Ranch, which actually was very well written. And then I watched all of the episodes of Miami Vice. And I know your episode featured... Dennis Farina. Dennis Farina from Chicago, and he was on two different episodes. So tell us about your experience with Miami Vice, how you got the gig, what the show was about, how it was working with Don Johnson and the crew. What, what was your thoughts on that? Well, I'll tell you the truth. I did. I, I The guy that was running the show at the time was a guy by the name of Joel Cerno. And Joel liked my writing, and he called me in, and I told him a story. And I, by the way, I knew Dennis Farina from the Chicago story. He was actually a real cop in real life. He was a homicide detective. Really? And then he made the trip and he was wow. in a thing called Chicago Story. So I, I knew Joel Cerno. I came in with the idea about, uh, you know, Lombard. And I worked on this a few drafts and then Joel took it and ran with it afterwards and did the polish on it. Okay. How about Star Trek? You worked on The Next Generation, right? I, uh, the name of my episode was The Icarus Factor. And I got to meet Gene Roddenberry, who was a hero of mine. And Gene Roddenberry wanted to write a story about his father. And it was called High Regard. He wanted, it was initially called High Regard, but then it turned into the Icarus Factor. And he really basically just wanted to pay tribute to his father. And the second st- secondary story they described as Worf making his bar mitzvah. He never made his bar mitzvah. That's why he was somewhat unhappy and filled with discontent. So he goes back and makes his bar mitzvah and he's, Okay. Were you a fan of the show, David? Yes. Before the hard part of that show was learning all the lingo mm-hmm. and the technology. And some of it was made up, some of it wasn't. So that was a hard, I had a whole read about 25, 30 pages of some of the phrases they used. Okay. How about novel writing? I've written a novel. Our friend Larry's written many novels. I, I love the process and it's painful, but it's a lot of pleasure too. And you can really go to town with it and you have to be careful not to go too far out there because you want to you want to have a, a, a tight storyline. Tell us about your experience and what you're thinking is well, about novel writing. No, novel writing is like going a mile. 
it's really long and protracted and really tests your character. That's, I haven't, I didn't publish the novel that the Council of the Arts gave me an award for because it was too painful for me. And I couldn't finish it, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. But I've, I'm trying to make the transition right now at this moment in my life into writing novels because that was, I thought, my strength. I could write lyrically and poetically. And a novel really tests your endurance in terms of language. And, but you can really say so much in a novel, you can do exposition. In a screenplay, you gotta be fast, quick, to the point, and the story has to move. In a novel, you can take your time, and even if the story's not moving and the language is colorful and alive, that's your vehicle to move it forward. I think regardless of what you write, novel, movie, or television, the trick is, to engage the, uh, the audience and the characters and to keep that story moving at all times. Okay, my special guest, David Assail on Guys Guys Radio. Great conversation, I, I'm loving this. Tell us about um, your thoughts, David, about how the industry has changed due to COVID and how do you think it's gonna change now going forward? Are there some permanent changes that are now gonna take place? Well, it, you know, it really depends on what your personality is. If you're an introvert, then I guess Zoom is, is uh, very good and going to help you and, and be productive. However, if you're an outgoing extrovert, that's where your money is. That's where your value is. You get in a room and you can electrify people and you have to have, for me, I like going into a room personally because sometimes I can have charisma. And the way I define charisma is you create the illusion that a party is taking place. So if in person, you can create that illusion that you're in a room, you're pitching a story, things are happening. And even if the executives don't agree with you, they say, this is exciting and electrifying. Let me buy this personality or let me buy this story. Once you go through the Zoom thing, it's all muted. It's unreal and somewhat, uh, it's not concrete. And so the, I think the business, it, it really depends on your personality. Now, what's gonna happen in the business? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I prefer meetings. I don't like Zoom meetings. I like seeing a person. I like hearing a person and I like the spontaneity of it. For somebody coming out to uh, LA for the first time, they've got some talent, they've done some spec screenplays, they've done some TV writing, maybe they have a novel. Um, they come out, what would be your advice today? How do they get started? What should they do? I think they have to have some proof or as Lily Tomlin said in uh, her one-woman show, you got to have evidence. So that evidence that you bring to the table, it's got to be a script. Have a spec. I think they're more interested in, see, when I was coming up, you had to write the show. Now they're more interested in a unique voice. So have, if you want to write a screen, if you want to be a screenwriter, have a screenplay that's going to excite people. And... Be political. You have to be political because if you don't have access or entree, you're screwed. So you have to try to find an agent. And it's a closed shop. It's a rigged system like everything else. You've got to find somebody that likes your writing. And so have a screenplay if you're going to pitch a movie or you want to get a screenplay assignment or have a TV series that really reflects your voice and try to get to as many people as you can get to. So it's really about access and entree. Not only, there are plenty of very excellent writers that never make it, and you never hear about them. And then there's plenty of mediocre writers because they're politically connected 
and know how to play the game, do very well. Great advice, David. Last question for you. Uh, New York, good old New York. I'm so glad I moved right when COVID, right before, <laughs> right before COVID hit. And I love New York from the bottom of my heart, but it's the last place I'd want to be when there's a pandemic. And I also found that the infrastructure in New York is falling apart. The money's not there. The subway's horrible. And uh, it's just like, you know, when I was in my advertising career there and things were going strong, it was great. Once I started to move out of that, I was like, I, I don't know if I need to be here. I'm having a lot more fun in Southern California. It's got its own set of issues. What do you think about New York City now? And do you go back there often? I don't go back often, actually. Uh, I, have, I have three brothers and they all passed away. So I, I don't really okay. have, so my, most of my family's gone there. And I love, I love Los Angeles. I mean, I got a life now that I only dream about. I got a swimming pool. So it's real hot today. I could step outside and go to the pool. In New York, I, I still love New York. I'll, I'll always love it. It's a great city. It's incredibly stimulating. But it's a lot easier being out here, especially if you can raise a family. I have two kids, wife. It's much easier out here than to raise them. I probably would have had to move out of the city because I probably couldn't afford it. Right. So my advice, I mean, I'd love it out here. And, but I still love New York City. And I'm going back there to write my novels. Interestingly enough, I'm going back into the past to really dig up uh, the impact it had on me. All right, David Assail, my special guest on Guys Guys Radio. Great job, so many interesting stories. I'm an admirer of you and your work and your gumption, and uh, you, you really got what it takes. So thank you for being on Guys Guys Radio. Thank you, I really appreciate it. And I'll see you soon, my man. There's never been a better time for men to be whoever they want to be, yet it's never been less clear who men really are. Guys Guy Radio, starring author Robert Manny, is on KCAA every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Whether it's relationships, sex, wellness, or spirituality, join Robert as he interviews the experts about how men and women can be at their best. Guys Guy Radio, better men, Better world. Okay, two terrific guests on Guys Guys Radio. Both guys, guys, both very different. I really enjoyed speaking with both of them, and I hope everybody out there, I hope you guys got some good takeaway there. Uh, we had Gay Hendricks. His seminal book is called The Big Leap, and the new one is The Genius Zone. And we talked about the importance of recognizing that you have a genius inside. Everybody has it inside, and it's connected to your passion. And after you recognize the fact that you do have a genius inside and you recognize your passion, then it's a matter of finding a little bit of time each and every day to focus and devote to what is your passion. And over time, hopefully that grows. You could start at five minutes and hopefully over time, more and more of your day is devoted to what really brings you joy. Okay, David Assail, we talk, talked about Hollywood. He's a veteran writer and producer and as, I, as you, we heard, Hollywood is a quirky town. It's a weird industry. It's random in some ways. The cream usually rises to the top, as with anything else. But I think the key is if you're, if you're following a career in Hollywood and your journey there, don't take anything personally. Believe in your work and keep going no matter, no matter what happens. It is kind of a crapshoot. It's not always the best work that gets the best uh, production behind it and the best resources behind it, but hopefully the cream will rise to the top, and if you have something very special that's worth sharing, you'll get it out there through the system or on your own, but just keep working. Don't let Hollywood hold you back. Do your work, express yourself, and good things will happen, and you'll find that joy from expressing yourself. David's uh, very prolific as a 
or a, a number of people who uh, have worked in and around Hollywood. They just keep working, and that's the way you've got to do it. You can't just stop. You've got to keep going. So anyhow, Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific time on KCAA in Southern California, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 10.50 a.m., the show rebroadcasts every Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific time. The podcast and my YouTube post worldwide every Thursday. We call the YouTube Guys Guys TV, but to find it, just use my name, Robert Manny. My website is robertmannymanni.com. There you will find over 300 blog posts about everything about life, love, the pursuit of happiness, relationships, dating, finances, jobs, careers, family, wellness, diet, fitness, spirituality. It goes on and on. There's lots of free information for you there. You can also download three chapters of my novel, which is the source material of all things Guy's Guy. It's called The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, and it's about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money in New York City. And I think you'll have a lot of fun with that book. You can check out the reviews, but it's been called The Male Successor to Sex in the City. So, you can also catch me on social media. I'm everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc. And uh, we've just got a whole great summer lined up of guests that you're really going to enjoy. And I really had a blast talking to some of them. I've got a lot more to go. Sometimes we do, uh, we pre-record in advance, uh, well in advance. And uh, sometimes we just, right before the show, we, we post it. But anyhow, we've got a lot of fantastic guests coming to you right through the summer. And I thank you for staying with us and I, I thank you for your support and I thank all my guests for their appearances and all the information that collectively we've picked up from our guests and as I always say you know there's always something to learn you don't necessarily have to change your life based on what some guest says on a radio show but a, a lot of the guests that I bring on and I do uh, I do my due diligence to find guests so I think that can add some value and help you live your best life and particularly if you're guys because guys get busy and guys get stuck sometimes it's hard for us to change but change is important and keeping an open mind is important. I'm finding that more and more guys are looking for an avenue and looking for outlets where they can be who they really are uh, and they can get new information that's not just as usual stuff you get from work or you get from you know, your friends or from whatever is being blasted at you from the media. And it's, it, things are changing and it's changing for the good and guys are, are down with that and that's a really good thing. So. We're here for you on Guys Guys Radio. We've got a lot of information for you. Again, the show's not just for guys, it's for women too, but I think men can really glean a lot of information from our, our show, and it's a pleasure to do it. And this is our 469th show, so we've got, we've got a lot of shows in the can, and we've got a lot more to come. So Guys Guys Radio, I'm going to see you next week. Until then, have a great one, and as I always like to say, Guys Guys, finish first. <laughs>